Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace Bible Church. My name is Kyle Cox, and I'm excited to be here. Um, a little bit about me. I graduated from A&M in 2013. Yeah, all right. Okay. Um, and then immediately came on staff at Grace as an intern. Now they're called the Fellows, if you're familiar with the Fellows program. Um, and I was an intern for three years and then came on staff full-time in the outreach department and have since, as of last summer, moved overseas to Greece uh, through crew. And me and my wife, we got back last week. So uh, feeling a little loopy, so it could get weird. Um, so, so this morning, is uh, I want to tell a story about a, uh, a friend of mine. This is Chamilla. Um, and if, as you can see, sorry, I need, to, I need to look. It's important that I look at the screen. So as you can see, Chamilla and I, you can, uh, I want to point out a couple of things here. Notice like the... Uh, the thigh right here. Notice that gap right there in the middle. And then I want you to see the hand. There's not too much tension like forming around her shoulder. And you can see the heads right there. They're not too close. What I'm getting at is this dude right here is so deep in the friend zone. It's completely unreal. Many have been there. Few have escaped. Um, And for the first two and a half years of Chamilla and my friendship, that's where I lived was the friend zone. And I I had people every now and again come up to me and be like, hey, would you ever date Chamilla? And I, you know, of course I would, but I know the response. It would be, ugh, no. Um, (laughs) Told me not to say that on stage. Um, So, I, for two and a half years, didn't do anything, didn't make a move, but little did I know during this time, Chamilla had been uh, talked to, to other women who she trusted and knew and loved, and they all went up to her and said, you know, hey, have you thought about Kyle? I mean, these were the true wing woman of my life. Um, so they would talk to her, and they would start to put in her ear, and her response was, no, no. Um, and so it wasn't until some guy came to me, and he said, hey, I really think you should consider asking out Chamilla on a date. So Chamilla and I, 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 end, up, uh, I end up texting her. Um, and so <laughs> I ask if I could go over to her house. Um, and we have, and I, I mean this in the best way possible, but we had the most uncomfortable conversation that I've ever had in my life. And I think she would agree. I, I do. She's over there, so I'll ask her later. Um, so in this conversation, we, I guess... <laughs> Again, reluctantly decided to go on a date, and it ended up being fun. And so we went on two dates, and to make a long story short, uh, we broke up. Thanksgiving, Kyle sad, we got back together. And so by the time we got back together, um, we were moving forward in our relationship, and that spring, I realized something. I realized I am in love with this woman. And so I talked to some of my, my guy friends. We got together. I asked them how they felt, and then it came down to picking out rings. So I brought one of my best friends who actually lives overseas with me now. I bought, brought him. Two of Chamilla's best friends got wind that I was doing this, and they were like, you're not going to buy a ring without us. So they came. They all surrounded me. We bought the ring. I asked her to marry me at this park, and all her friends were hiding behind bushes, and that, that gave me confidence. I loved that they were behind there because I knew they were watching this once-in-a-lifetime experience happened to me and Chamilla. Then we planned a wedding in four months, which was crazy, and um, we got married on January 7th, and um, (laughs) got married on January 7th, and I went from the guy you see in this picture to the guy who clawed himself out of the friend zone. You could see it really on the face right right there. Um, See, that's a man who's like in disbelief, and it's funny because I made this face actually quite a bit throughout the, uh, there it is. All right. Can you help me slides people? You're going to want to go like, there we go. Keep going. 
Keep going. Yeah, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. There it is again. Ah, perfect. <laughs> All that to say is it turned out really great. Um, I remember a lot of things on that day, of course, but uh, one of the things that I remember that sticks out to me, one of the things that stick out to me the most is right before the ceremony, right before I walked on stage, I was in this back room at Grace Anderson with my army of groomsmen. I had 14. It was crazy. And uh, then uh, Matt Morton, who, of course, you all know, he was our officiant. And Matt Morton calls all the guys to surround me, and Matt leads us in this prayer. And as they all lead us in this prayer, this thing I was super nervous for, uh, to be, I mean, not marrying Chamilla, but, you know, it's, you're about to be on stage, and it's this big day, and I was like antsy and, and nervous, and what's she going to look like when she walks out? And I was emotional, and these guys surrounded me, and they all prayed over me, and I, I just felt confident after that. And then as we walked to the door right before the ceremony, Matt asks me, are you ready? And I remember responding, and it was the most confident thing I've ever said. And I said, yes, I am. And I walked confidently on that stage, and I married the love of my life. So that's our story. It's a lot crazier. I could tell it to you sometime. There's a lot of funny things that make me look bad in it. Um, <laughs> I say that because I was able to engage in opportunities to meet with Chamilla in confidence because of those who surrounded me. Like, I look back at our history and our relationship to one another, and it, there was always people involved. There was always people in the dating portion, the engaged portion, and even now in our, married, in our married, married life, I see people surrounding us. And that gives me confidence. Now, I say that because the Christian life is very similar. We as Christians, we're able to engage in opportunities spiritual opportunities and everyday interactions. We're able to engage in opportunities to make Jesus known. We're able to engage a life on mission in confidence because of the one who surrounds us, because of the one who goes before us. God seeks to use us in our everyday life. And the reason I say that is because if I give this message and, and I don't identify that, a lot of us can walk away with thinking, okay, I'm going to wait for God to put something in my way, and then I'll jump on the opportunity. And I'm saying something much deeper than that. I'm saying you're actively looking in your everyday life for opportunities to make Jesus known. So this is in your job. This is in students, your school. This is in your community, in your neighborhood to address the broken, to address uh, the lonely, to address the bitter and the rebellious. But what I've found in our church today, in the American church today, is we've started to neglect this. Neglect this idea of actively looking up for opportunities to live life on mission. And I think there's a host of reasons for that. But one, I think simply because it's uncomfortable. I think it's uncomfortable to talk to someone about Jesus who you work with. Perhaps it's fearful Perhaps there's risk. Perhaps you risk losing your job or salary or prestige. Perhaps you risk uh, losing relationships or even family over this. So there's risk involved. And when we look at this this morning, when we look at these opportunities, these spiritual opportunities in our everyday life, this can be as small as seeing a person sitting alone at McDonald's and sparking up a conversation to uprooting your family from College Station and moving to a third world country. It's about living life actively for the gospel. I was reading recently about the early church, and the early church, despite persecution, despite the fact that death was imminent, they came together and they lived life actively trying to make Jesus known despite the risk because they knew the risk was worth it. 
And because of them, because of what God did through them, the church spread through Europe and it spread through Asia. Just because people came and they said, these uneducated, these ordinary men and women, just normal people said, we know the risk, but the risk is worth it. I think of, I think of my wife, Chamilla. I think of when she moved to College Station. She grew up in a Buddhist home. Buddhism was all she knew. She moved to College Station, and a stranger hands her a Bible on campus her freshman year. She starts reading the New Testament. She gets curious. She comes to Grace Bible Church, and she meets a girl named Sarah DeGroat, now Sarah Davidson. And Sarah sees an opportunity to invest in this new believer. And throughout that friendship, Tramilla began to grow. And if you know Tramilla, you know now she's one of the strongest women of the faith that you have ever met. And I look at that, and I'm so thankful for this stranger that I didn't even know and my friend Sarah Davidson, because they were actively searching for opportunities in their everyday life to make disciples and to make Jesus known. This is what we're addressing this morning. We want to look how we can live confidently life on mission. And I think David was a good example of this. David lived life on mission confidently. He lived life for the glory of God. And I want to look at how he was able to do this with confidence. And this is found, I believe, in Psalm chapter 23. So Psalm chapter 23, very common set of verses. Uh, This illustrates God as our father and so our God as our shepherd. So what I want to do is I want us to look at this illustration and see the implications it means for us as we move forward in confidence. So I have three truths that I want to pull out as a reminder to us to walk in confidence as we live life on mission. So truth number one, our shepherd provides. Verse 1 through 3, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. So the Lord illustrated as a shepherd is a common theme throughout the Old Testament. Um, However, usually this illustration applies to a nation or a people group. We see this in Psalm chapter 80, verse 1, Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 31, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. It's always in regards to the Lord as the shepherd over this group of people. However, this is the only time in the Old Testament that the Lord illustrated as a shepherd gets personal. It's the only time in the Old Testament that he refers to God as my shepherd. You see, throughout this psalm, it isn't about how a community relates to God. It's about how you and I as individuals relate to God. In fact, David will use the words I and my 17 times throughout this passage. So in our city going lives today, I think we miss the significance of this illustration. However, when David wrote this, there was great significance that David understood because David was a shepherd. And the shepherd, he would spend all day, all night with his sheep. He would have unique names for his sheep. Uh, Sheep, they lacked horns, they lacked uh, defense mechanisms, so the shepherd would protect his sheep. Uh, The sheep, they would follow the herd, so if one sheep jumped off a cliff, they all jumped off a cliff. Um, I'm talking like sheep don't exist anymore. Um, The shepherd would protect their sheep. And so the problem is, sheep are dumb, and if God is illustrated as the shepherd here, that means we are illustrated as the sheep. Uh, which isn't really a great compliment. However, what I think the illustration David is trying to make here is that we have a weakness. We have a need. We have a need for a shepherd. I think what he's showing us here is that we need to be dependent on someone outside of ourselves. The sheep are dependent on their shepherd. He provides for the need. 
David says, I shall not want, which I think that phrase, when I first looked at it, it looked pretty ambiguous. I didn't quite understand what it meant. My first thought was like, I don't desire. But the problem is I do desire things. I desire relationship and food. However, when you look at the literal translation in Hebrew, there is no ambiguity. It means I do not lack. So you could essentially say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. I still desire things. However, Lord, with you as my shepherd, I recognize that I lack nothing, that you provide to me all that I need. He's saying, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I have everything if I have you. So this is how you can confidently take risks for the gospel, is because even if you lose something that's of value to you, he still provides what you need. And I'm not, I'm not giving you some, hey, if you take this risk, you're going to get a lot of money. No, I mean, that, that's false, completely false. But I am saying that he will sustain you and provide, <clears throat> excuse me, he will sustain you and provide for your need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by still waters. There's a sense of safety and tranquility. I take comfort in you as my shepherd. He restores my soul. He gives me relief. He refreshes me when I'm weary. He sustains us. You see, we don't need to look for other outlets for provision because he provides all that we need. Now, when I read this, I thought of my dog, Iris. Um, do you mind switching the slide? There is Iris. Um, so that's actually my parents' dog. It's not my dog. Um, and Iris is a Pomeranian. And uh, you've heard the quote that dogs under 50 pounds are cats. So my parents have a cat. This is Iris. Um, <laughs> And Iris, I mean, she is spoiled to the max. I would argue maybe a little spoiled than I was. Um, and she, I mean, she is pampered. Uh, they protect her. She's afraid of everything. You breathe too loud. She runs. I mean, she, she is taken care of. They get, like, the wet food that's really nice and yummy and super expensive. And it's like, well, I don't know. Um, they take her to the dog saloon, and they get her fluffed up. Um, salon, not saloon. <laughs> Do you see Iris going in and getting a drink? Um, so they take her to the dog salon, and they uh, fluff her up, and they fluff her tail up, and they make her look all pretty and paint her nails. Yet, every time the front door is open, she runs out. She sees the open door, and she's like, that looks nice, and she runs out. And I always think to myself, like, what, what out there could you possibly want that you don't have in here? And the reality is, we do the same thing. He provides all that we need, and yet we see an opportunity, and we run for it. We look for other outlets of provision when he's provided all that we need. Okay, you guys can flip to the next slide. We don't need to look at her for very long. That's great. <laughs> um, so I, I saw this as Chamilla and I, as we were raising our finances to move overseas to Greece, we saw this um, risk in our own life. We saw the number we had to raise. We had to raise it in two and a half months, and we said, no, that, we can't do it. I guess that's not possible. And yet we saw God raise, and not only raise it before the due date, he raised it in abundance. But we saw the opportunity, the risk was great, and yet he provided. He always provides for us. So don't let loss of things or stuff keep you from engaging in spiritual opportunity found in your everyday, everyday life. Moving on, verse 4. And you guys can flip to the next slide. Thank you all. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Truth number two, our shepherd protects. Now, I want you to notice the switch of imagery here. For the first three verses, David, he refers to God in the literary form of third person. He says, he leads me beside still waters. He leads me to green pastures. 
However, when we get to verse 4, he changes this form to second person you. He starts talking directly to God. And I think we can relate to this because it's when we are in the valleys that we cry out to God most. And I think it's important for us to understand what this valley means. Some understand this valley to be a literal valley of the shadow of death, but most commentators will tell you that this valley represents when shepherds would lead their sheep through this dangerous area to get to greener and better pastures. So David, he's not saying the sheep have stumbled in or fallen into this valley. No, he's saying he is intentionally leading and walking his sheep through the valley. Now, the problem is the valley is notorious for danger. It has inconsistent climates. It has dangerous predators. It has poisonous plants, poisonous water, and yet the shepherd still does that. Why? It's to get to greener pastures. And I believe God does the same thing with us. With us, He asks us to follow him into the valley, and he says, see what I can do. He's asking us to experience him in a way that we haven't before. So now I want you to pause here for a second. If you grew up in the church, think back, or whenever you first learned these stories, think back to when you first learned them. Um, But think about the Old Testament Bible stories. Think about Moses. Think about when Moses, God used Moses to part the Red Sea. Think about Elijah, when God used Elijah to cast down fire on Baal. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they lived through the furnace, or Daniel, who lived, through the, who lived through the lion's den. Think about these heroes, and think about when you were a kid, and you learned about these stories. There was a sense of awe you had. You know, you learn these stories, and you think, man, that is crazy. And yet, what I've seen happen as I've gotten older is we almost view these stories as children's stories. These stories where God moved in incredible ways, we view them more as that's the stories you teach in Sunday school. And I believe intellect is great. I believe we should study theology. I think if we study theology deeper, we have a greater understanding of our God, and I think that cultivates a great relationship with our Savior. So study theology, study biblical history. But my concern is that we do this sometimes at the expense of that awe we felt for God. That all we felt for when we learned that God parted the Red Sea through Moses. I remember Marty Scott, our college missions pastor here, his son used to call me, and uh, he would ask me the deep questions of life, such as who is a greater superhero, Batman or Superman? And we would discuss that for a while, and sometimes we had great debates over that. Uh, But he would ask me, and he's like four years old. We would finally, at the end, we would go over a Bible story, and we would talk about God and how he used one of these heroes to do something crazy. And when Andrew would hear that, Marty's son Andrew would hear that, he'd be like, Superman who? I mean, it was, his mind was blown about how powerful and how incredible God was. And I want us all to have that childlike faith that Marty's son Andrew had, that when we remember God, we remember that this God is the same God who lives in you and me. I've heard people say the God of the Old Testament is so powerful. The God of the Bible is so strong. And I'm like, no, that's the same God who works in you and me. The same God who worked in Moses is the same one who works in you and me. In fact, uh, James chapter 5, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. These men and women of the faith of the Old Testament that God used in big ways, they were just men and women. They ate, they bled, they lived, they died. That was it. I mean, that was their life, except in the middle of all that, God used them in powerful ways because they were willing to be used, because they actively sought out opportunities to be used by God. 
So of course, David, when he says he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Of course he says that because he knows who goes before him. He knows it's the same God that worked in Moses is the same one that works in him. Of course we can walk through the valley because we know who protects us and who walks with us. Even if our worst fears happen, what can man do under the sovereign will of God more than that he allows? Recently, I was reading about a missionary who lived in North Africa, and he was eventually imprisoned, and he was beat. Um, And during a couple weeks before he was released, um, while they were beating him, they asked him, where is your God now? And the response of this missionary was, you will not lay one more finger on me than what my God will allow. You are under his sovereign control. And I thought to myself, that is faith. That is what it looks like to walk through the valley, to understand that there is nothing you can do apart from what God may let you. You can keep beating me, but you won't beat me one time more than what my God allows. That is what walking through the valley looks like. The reality is, we as Christians, we encounter the valley time and time again. This life, as we go through the valley, we see God show up in ways that we've never seen before. And I'm not saying you're going to see a bunch of revival. But what I am saying is you personally as an individual, if you, if you take risks, if you decide to actively seek out opportunities of mission to make Jesus known, if you walk through the valley, I'm saying you will show, see God show up in ways in your life personally than you have never before. And you may see revival. But even if you don't, you will see God move unlike you have ever seen before. That God can do anything Shouldn't that compel us to see what he would do? I believe we let circumstance prevent us from going into the valley. But I also believe sometimes we are our, own, we are our worst enemies. I find at times I look at the valley and I think, I don't really want to do that. I like the still waters. I like the green pastures. But the valleys, I don't really want to do that. But as I was thinking about this, wouldn't I kind of want to go through the valley just to see what God would do? Just to see what would happen? Like there's, there's almost... An anticipation. There's almost a thrill to it. I remember coming home when I, had, when I lived with roommates, coming home, and two of my roommates, they were walking out of the house, and they were on their way to just simply knock on the doors of the people in their neighborhood and ask, hey, we believe, they said, we believe in Jesus, and we believe he cares for us. Is there anything that we can pray for you for? Simple as that. That's all they did. And when they left, they were antsy and they were excited and there was, there was this thrill to it. And I looked at them and I thought it was, it was a simple thing. And yet there was still so much excitement to see how God would move. See, so much excitement to see how God would show up in their lives in ways that they haven't before. Tramilla and I, we felt this in the airport before we left for Greece. She and I, neither of us had lived overseas for an extended period of time. Neither of us knew the language. We didn't know many people in Greece. And so when we were in the airport, we were pretty nervous. We had this anticipation manifesting itself in anxiousness, but also excitement, anticipation. We didn't know what was going to happen, but we did know this. We were going to depend on God in ways that we hadn't before. We did know that. And I'm not going to lie, that was exciting. It was exciting to us. Is it nerve-wracking? Oh my gosh, yes. But it's also very exciting to know that we get to depend on God in ways that we have never seen before. Sometimes we look at our own limitations and we think, I can't be used by God. I have this weakness. I struggle with this sin. Not me. And then I think of Moses. When God called Moses to lead the, peop- lead the Israelites out of Egypt, Moses said, not me. I have a stutter. 
And God's like, who made your mouth? He's saying, I messed up when I made your mouth. And then Moses continues and he says, I can't lead, not me. I'm not a leader. Make Aaron lead. And then Aaron leads and poof, golden idol calf. God makes no mistake in using you. He knows your limitations. He knows your weakness. He knows your sin struggles. But he looks at you and says, I want to use you despite of that. He knows our limitations. None of us are perfect. We all have limitations. But are we willing to be used by the creator of the universe, the one who used these Old Testament heroes? For me, what this looks like is I have obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety disorder. And so before moving overseas and even during my time overseas, I thought, I can't do ministry. I mean, how can I effectively do ministry with these limitations? And I realized throughout this year that God doesn't negate me because of my limitations and struggles. No, rather he uses me in spite of them. He uses us in spite of our limitations. And I can recognize and confidently say now that it was God, not myself, that enabled me to walk through the valley. You see, our limitations, all they do is bring more glory to God when we see him show up in ways that we have never seen before. He makes no mistake in using you. We are kingdom representatives, and so he wants to use you and I, broken people, to represent the kingdom. Circumstances can get in our way. People, uh, circumstances can get in our way. Our own limitations can get in our way, and people can get, prevent us from walking into the valley. I remember as we were raising our support last summer, uh, someone had said to me, he said, but what if an emergency happens? You know, like, what if you move overseas and you miss a funeral, you miss a wedding, which we did? Um, What if you move overseas and you don't make enough money, which, you know, missionary? Um, What if we move overseas and we're not able to save a lot? What if you have an emergency? What if there's an emergency? You have to prolong having kids. You prolong having a permanent job. You have to be responsible. You have to think responsibly. And as I was hearing this, I was thinking to myself, aren't the people who live overseas who will spend eternity apart from God, are they not an emergency? Are the people in your jobs who don't know Jesus, who are going to live eternity apart from God, are they not an emergency? The people in your neighborhoods, the people in your schools, the people, the international students who come to A&M, are they not an emergency? So yes, the risk is great. Yes, we could lose a lot, but he's worth the risk because this world needs Jesus. This world is dying and it needs Jesus. And he wants to use you and I as ambassadors to make his kingdom known, to make him known. People can say, you need a better car, you need a better house, you need a better lifestyle. You've got to think of this, you've got this, you've got that. And I'm like, no, I've got the same God. My shepherd remains the same. So we walk in all confidence through the valley, despite circumstance, despite limitation, and despite what others say. Our third and last truth, you guys can move the, thank y'all. Our shepherd satisfies. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Look at that phrase, my cup overflows. I'm reminded of John chapter four when Jesus meets with the Samaritan woman at the well. And this woman, she'd been married four or five times. She had prostituted herself to other men. She was thirsty, looking for satisfaction, looking for anything that could fill her cup, even if for a little bit, but her cup always ran dry. And here comes Jesus, and he tells her, I have a solution that your cup would never run dry, that your cup would overflow, that you would never be thirsty again. And the same solution is the solution that you and I have. It's the solution of relationship with Jesus Christ. 
The reality is nothing will satisfy us like our relationship and cultivating a relationship with Jesus. He is the true satisfier of our soul. He is the way that, he is the solution to never be thirsty again. You see, we could have the perfect job, we could have the perfect salary, the perfect marriage, the perfect children, we could have the perfect life, and we'd still end up empty if our life is not defined by relationship with Jesus. Timothy Atik, director of Breakaway, he illustrates this really well. He says it's like climbing up a ladder. You see a ladder to climb, you get to the top, you have that perfect job, but there's always another ladder after that. Then you climb that ladder, you get to the top, you get it, and maybe it feels good for a little bit, but then there's another ladder. The illustration shows us that we will never be satisfied until we have relationship with Jesus. What this has looked like for Chamillan in my life is when we moved overseas, we are missing out on some of our nephews and nieces growing up. We're missing out on time with family. We're missing weddings. And we see friends back home, and we see friends buy homes, and we see friends have permanent jobs and start families. And for us, at times, we can look at that and we can think, man, I really, really want that now. You know, I really, really want that now. But what she and I have had to learn is the reality is even if we had all that stuff, we wouldn't be satisfied if we weren't cultivating our relationship with Jesus. So just because we're overseas at a different place, it's still the same solution. It's Jesus. And so we've had to adjust our thought process to understand and thank God for the friends he's given us in Greece, from the friends who keep, who keep contacting us um, from back home. We've had to be thanking God that we have the opportunity to serve him overseas. We've had to change our thought process because the reality is Jesus is the only one who satisfies and none other will. None other will. So I say in light of this, in light of God being our provider, in light of him being our protector, in light of him being our satisfier, I say bring on the valley. I say let's live life in a way where we actively pursue and jump in the valley, knowing we're going to see God in a new and powerful way. He is our great provider, protector, and satisfier. People will say what if to you all the time. What if you lose your job? What if you lose money? What if you lose relationships? I think I'm getting to the point in my life where the only what if I want to be concerned about is what if I live my life, die, and had not lived it for the glory of Jesus Christ. The world is dying, and it needs Jesus. Our work here is not finished. Our work here is not done. And he wants all of us in here to participate in what he's doing in College Station and what he's doing in the nations. Lastly, David writes, and you guys can flip to the next slide. He writes, surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, the scripture points to Jesus. In John chapter 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. So how do we dwell in the house of the Lord forever? It's through relationship with Jesus Christ. It's through belief and trust in his life, death, and resurrection. And my hope for you this morning is that if you're in here and you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, my hope is you know that that's just the start of what should be an exciting life lived on mission. But if that's not your story right now, if you're in the room and you haven't placed your trust in Jesus, my hope is first and foremost that you would know that you are loved by a Father who saw sin separate you to Him. And our great shepherd, our father, made a way for you to have a relationship with him by sending his son to live a perfect life 
to die on a cross in your place and to raise from the grave, ultimately conquering sin once and, once and for all, that if you would trust in him, you would have relationship with the Father. This is Jesus, our good shepherd. So let's live life on mission and let's remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. As we think about this sacrifice, the men are going to go into the back and they're going to um, get ready for communion. This morning, we want to remember and we want to think about and reflect on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We want to remember his great sacrifice in our place. And so we do that through communion. And so if you're a believer in the room, if you're a guest or a member, we would love for you uh, to partake in communion with us. If you haven't placed your trust in Jesus yet, feel free to let the elements um, go on by and perhaps reflect if today is the day that you would come to know him. But let's for now, for this morning, for the remainder of our time, let's reflect on a wonderful Savior and a wonderful shepherd who loves us and who took the penalty of our sin, that we could have direct relationship with him and that we can have direct relationship with the Father. So the men are going to come up now. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he, get, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. God, we praise you for the salvation that you have offered us through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. God, we thank you that you are a good father who desires to be in relationship with us, that you made a way to be in relationship with us. Father, I pray that our understanding of this salvation would flow through our week and flow through our year and as our time here on earth, it would flow through um, as in form of outreach and mission, living life to make Jesus known, living life to make disciples. God, we thank you. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's take some time and worship him.